that we are necessary by his design for the ongoing work that he is doing on the earth. Bodily, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and yet bodily, he is spread across the globe in us, in all the members. That's breathtaking. Um, it's also very challenging. We have real work to do under Christ, our head. And here we are for the chief of that. We are assembled as God people for the preaching of the word. That's what Christ is appointed. How shall they believe unless they hear? And so we are here to hear our head through mere men, uh, assembled as mere men, many members of that one body, that Christ's purpose should continue to be accomplished in the world today. It's, it's, what can we say? That Christ should involve us in so great an enterprise. To that end, take and turn to Exodus in the 16th chapter and stand together with me. Indeed, a passage that will teach us about Christ and our need of Him in this wilderness in which we trod. Exodus 16 will be starting right at the beginning of the chapter. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said of them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven heaven for you and the people should go out and gather a certain quota every day that I might test them whether they will walk in my law or not and it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare that what they shall prepare what they bring in and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel at evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against him. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat in the evening, to eat in the evening, for in the morning and in the morning to the bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints, which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, <clears throat> that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, 
the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, <clears throat> At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all, lay all around the camp, and when the layer of dew lifted there, on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's needs. And Moses said, Let no one leave any of it until the morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. Thus far, the word of our God. Let us pray. O oh Lord our God, your word is living and active and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing bone and marrow, but even into our very being, a, a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. Lord, we are thankful that we have your word. Where would we be without the living word of God? We would be a people adrift, not knowing sin, sinning and piling up sin, but you have come and you have spoken in your word. You have even spoken in, in these accounts of old, old, old texts, ancient stories, ancient histories that, as Paul tells us, were written for our instruction. And surely, Lord, as we stand here and we hear this word, we find the piercing of the sword of the Spirit. For there is much of what was in Israel that is within our own hearts. And so we pray, Lord, that you would accomplish a good work in our midst by your word, through the powerful working of your Holy Spirit, both in the proclaiming of your word, the hearing of your word, the understanding of your word, the applying of your word, and then, Lord, even that we would go forth and do it, that we would live according to it. For as James has reminded us, it's he who does the word who exhibits saving faith. Bless us, O God, under your word we pray. May Christ be magnified in Jesus', Jesus precious name. Amen. You may be seated. We've just finished uh, uh, this week with Thanksgiving in it, and uh, 
by and large, our culture, even if we're not prone to do so, we, we can't hardly help but think of the next holiday coming so quickly upon us, Christmas, and, and people are, are planning trips. Uh, sometimes we make short trips. Sometimes we go on long and lengthy trips. Or perhaps you think of the trip to go visit grandparents. Perhaps it's a vacation trip, a camping trip, or maybe you're headed to a theme park. But once you get on the road and start traveling for a few hours, there's something about the excitement of the trip runs thin, especially uh, those of you traveling with little ones. I can remember the constant calls from the back seat. Are we there yet? How much longer? And, And maybe in a little more whiny voice than I've just said it. And then the bickering begins. She touched me. He took my game. The fact of the matter is, children, even as your parents, we don't have a lot of patience for trips. Trips can be challenging. They can be difficult. Traveling can be hard on everyone. We, that is my wife and I, just replaced our vehicle because traveling in the car that we had caused me a lot of pain on long road trips. Well, we are no different, really, from Israel after they led Egypt. We saw last week how how well they handled the unexpected hardships. Water, the shortage of water in the wilderness. And indeed, it was a true need. They, they were at their limits three days. And then they come upon a body of water only to discover with enthusiasm as they partake of it to find that it's it's unfit to drink. And thus called Mara, bitter. It's remarkably how quickly after that point they forget the power of God and his mighty power to deliver. So soon had they come out of Egypt and, and yet they failed to see the sufficiency of God. What did the Hebrews do when things got tough on their trip on their travel pretty much what we do right they murmured is the original might be more accurately translated new king james goes with complain um as i told you last week the this isn't just the grumbling and murmuring this 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 word is idea of also of rebellion in it and you see that you hear that coming through in the text but the lord proved his will ability to provide them water in the wilderness. He showed Moses the tree that then made the waters sweet that had been bitter. And then, almost as it were, just over the horizon, in short order, they come to an oasis of 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, such a provision. But they must move on. This, this is not the land promised to Abraham, their father. This is not the land flowing with milk and honey. It is but a small oasis in a great wilderness, and the Lord had something far greater for them in store, even as we must remember. We, we enjoy great blessings here on the earth, do we not? And we have those moments along the way where God richly blesses us, and, and we rejoice, and we must rejoice, and give him the thanks that... Let us never lose sight of the fact this is not our home. 
Abraham is commended in the book of Hebrews that he was looking for a city whose builder was God. He looked beyond this world to something far greater. This morning we begin in a call to worship with just a glimpse into that glorious place that is our eternal rest, heaven in the presence of God and in the glory of God being celebrated and sung. And in our journey, in our travels here below, we must remember that's where we're going. It's delightful to have the oasises along the way, but it's also necessary to have the sufferings along the way. But we must keep the destination in mind. And so it is that... Israel must move on. And they journeyed from Elam. The congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. So Moses writes, it's that it's in between Elam and and Sinai. They travel on as they are making their way for the first stop is Mount Sinai. It's where Moses met with God and God said that at this very mountain he would worship him. What was it that God sent Moses to Egypt to say to Pharaoh? Let my people go that they may go out and worship me. And that's why they're going to Sinai. They're going to worship God there. They're they're going to hear and see the glory and the majesty of God. When God speaks from the mountain out of the darkness of the cloud, they're terrified. It will say to Moses, we don't want to ever hear that voice again. But in the text this morning, we, we see a little foreshadowing. We'll come to that in a moment. They see something of the glory of the Lord made manifest to them, even in the wilderness of sin. Now, the wilderness of sin, sometimes translated zin with a Z, this has nothing to do with what we know as sin. Uh, though they did sin in this wilderness. That's not why it's called that. It's, the name is in connection with Sinai. Um, a wilderness uh, indicate apparently you know, the, that you must cross to come to Sinai and thus named accordingly. You know, if you think of how Sinai is spelled, S-I-N-A-I, the wilderness of sin. This is where they must go from wilderness of Shur to come to Sinai. In in this situation, the in the uh, circumstances of crossing over, their hearts are exposed again. And yes, we find in the text that they are sinning in that place, though the name of it had nothing to do with it. We're going to use four main headings. You find them printed in your worship guide. Um, more complaining. Um, just a little heads up, uh, as we keep moving along, we might have other main headings and sermons um, just like that, more complaining, because it's a reoccurring theme in Exodus. But then we have this remarkable that the Lord hears his people's complaint, and then, of all things, notice this, our third point is that the glory of the Lord appeared. You might expect the third point to be, and then God brought down the the hammer of his wrath upon them. But no, the Lord, he hears their complaints, and he shows them something of his glory. 
And the fourth point we'll look at is the Lord's gracious provision. Just in those main headings, we, we see something of who our God is. He's gracious. He's forbearing. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. Well, I've taken the title for this sermon from verse 7. Verse 7 we read, In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. And that's one of the main themes of the text. So our theme, a little longer one uh, than usual, but I want to put this out here for you children to think about because uh, you know, we started thinking about traveling. And a trip can be a trial, especially for little ones. Uh, you're strapped in a car seat. You can't move around. It's, it has its own trials that even us adults don't understand. But the theme is the trials of our life, we should look for God's glory in them. It's all around us. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare this, the glory of the Lord. Can you imagine what it was like out there in that wilderness area? There's no streetlights. They didn't exist. And you imagine at night, step out the door of your tent and look up and behold the majesty of the heavens. That's what Psalms, Psalm 19 is about. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And so every night, night after night, they were reminded of the glory of God. But as we will soon see, the Lord is going to make himself known by supplying all of the needs of his people, even as he has done for us spiritually in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ who is the manifestation of the glory of the Father. So, we're really looking at the glory of God being manifested to us on the earth in a multiple ways. We begin with more complaining. First three verses, Israel sets out from Elam. They're crossing the wilderness again. They've left the oasis of whatever vessels they had, whatever means to carry water they had. We can be sure that they were filled, but water gets consumed quickly. Moses records that the children of Israel have been freed now for about six weeks. He gives us a time marker. He said it is the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. They've been liberated. They've been free from slavery for six weeks. And how quickly we forget those sorts of things. But they're on their way. That's the liberty of uh, fr from being s slaves, it's it's not what's on their mind. Uh, the Hebrews are they're not celebrating their their liberty. They're not celebrating the fact that they're no longer in Egypt. They're not celebrating the, the mighty deeds of God that have been displayed. Remember the 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 mighty plagues showed the people of God as well who the Lord their God is. Now, what do they do in verse 2? Then the whole congregation. Remember the, the plagues? We read about all the land, all encompassing again and again. We have a similar theme here. Here, The whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And that's what they're doing. Murmuring. Rebellious murmuring and complaining. They're expressing a tremendous dissatisfaction with who God is. A little bit ago, we were looking at the preface to the Ten Commandments. 
and the preface to the Ten Commandments is, is in this context, a liberated people, a people who have been set free. Next week we'll be taking up the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. What's happening in this text? This liberated people, they want to order how things ought to be. It's as though we want to be God and we want these comforts, these things at this place, at this time. Um, they don't understand. Even the their first commandment, though they will soon hear it, they're complaining. They're all in on it. It's interesting to notice the use of the word the congregation or uh, community. That's the idea that, that Moses, as he writes this, he's showing that they are one people now. When, when they were in captivity in uh, Egypt, there's no doubt that they, they lived in some sense largely in Goshen, but uh, it was necess- necessary for their labors that they were dispersed in Egypt. But now here they're all together. They're, they're one congregation. This is one people, a community, even as we are. They have a common God to serve. And it is for that reason they left Egypt. It's for this reason that God has brought them out of Egypt to come together as a one people to worship him. What are they murmuring about this time? Verse 3 tells us, before it was water, and now it's food, the children of Israel said. And here you, we've, some, what has been one of our themes? We need to keep being reminded of some things, don't we? I mean, that's one of the, the benefits and the blessings of the Lord's Day, that as we come together, we're reminded of the things that matter the most. We're brought together to do that which is the most important, that we were created to give God the glory. We need this constant reminder. And look how short their memories are. Verse 3, Then the children of Israel said to them, to Aaron and Moses, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and we ate bread to the full. How quickly they've forgotten. They're making their slavery sound like it was a pretty good deal. Uh, they're thinking of their bellies. And then they go on, for you, this is addressed to Moses and Aaron, for you brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. What an indictment. What have they lost sight of? Who have they lost sight of? God. Sisters and brothers, we make that same error in the midst of difficult times, difficult things, we we can lose sight of it. And this is one, again, I've, I've said this before, this is one of the ways that as a people of God that we can encourage one another, remind one another of the goodness of God, the provision of God, the faithfulness of God, the great salvation of God, that we would remember he has done great things for us. They've totally lost sight of that. All they see right now is we're hungry, no doubt they're walking with, with children who are also hungry and they're complaining against Moses and Aaron and saying, we get it, we know what this is all about. You two guys, you let us out here so we just all die in the wilderness. What a complaint. But not something unfamiliar to us. 
it's it's easy for us to be critical of them, isn't it? You know, it was just not that long ago that they saw great and mighty signs and wonders from the hand of God in the land of Egypt as he was delivering them. Their covenant faithful Lord who had been revealing himself to them and who has just so recently proved to them that he could supply for them as he provided wilderness water in the wilderness uh, and a water that by his appointment when they first discovered was bitter so that he could show them his ability to take bitter waters and make them sweet. And yet they're complaining against Moses and Aaron. Psalm 78, I commend it to you, it records... These events, there's this, the psalmist is written of this period. And in Psalm 78, verse 17 through 19, we find more of what was said at this time. But they sinned even more against him, that is, against the Lord, by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness. And they tested God in their heart by asking for food of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? So they're complaining against Moses and Aaron, but they're really complaining against God. Is, is, is God able to feed us here? Is God able to supply what we need? They, they've not learned much about their God. But again, I, I relate this to the brand new believer in our day. And particularly you think of someone who's come out of the world. You, know, you children are so blessed. You're growing up in the church. You're hearing the word preached week by week. You're learning these things about God and who he is and his majesty and his mercy his tender kindness, his ability to provide, but someone who comes out of the world. And we pray that the Lord would add to our church those that he's bringing out of the world. And little baby Christians will behave just like this. These, 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 are, these people are so young in the Lord. They, they've been in Egypt. They're full of Egypt, as we shall see. And so what are they thinking about? Yeah. This is just Moses and Aaron plan to bring us all out here so we can just die in the wilderness. Notice how their words, reflecting back on the days of their slavery, they make it sound pretty good. We sat by pots of meat. And we ate bread until we were full. And then they bring the sinful invocation, uh, accusation against the Lord that, He's not done them any good. They've forgotten the heat of the brick kilns. They've forgotten the sting of the whip of the overlords. They've forgotten how Pharaoh was determined to destroy them as a people by having all their baby boys thrown into the Nile. We forget too, don't we? We're prone prone to forget the faithfulness of God in the midst of our trials. And yet God has delivered them from all of this. And they have a sinful boldness to accuse God of that great deliverance just to bring them out into the wilderness and kill this whole assembly, as they said. 
Let's pause and think about it for our own lives. Let's be honest. We can relate. If you've been a believer for very long at all, you've, you've been there. You're in the midst of a struggle with sin or some something lacking, uh, maybe even something very necessary, and, and we experience despair. We lose sight of the big picture. We become discouraged, and, and we can say things, even sinful things, against the Lord our God. I know that some of you have been there and struggled with these things as we've talked about it. We think about what it's like to make the sacrifices to live a holy life unto the Lord when we're surrounded by sinners. But then we must remember our wretched condition of sin and misery. But in the midst of the difficulty, we can remember those days when we lived in sin and misery and we can be like Israel in Act like it was a, a big party. Scripture says sin has its pleasure for a moment. But ultimately, you know, it leads to the path of destruction. It is the path of destruction. We need to be reminded. Before we go on, let's think about this question at this point. I've alluded to it earlier in the outline. What would you expect, expect from a holy God at this point? I, th- I think back to the garden when Adam, who has literally everything, Adam's environment is pristine. He is sinless. God has supplied with him a- an abundance in a beautiful place, a beautiful wife. Just all is well in Adam's world. And yet he takes the fruit in rebellion and he eats of it. You might have expected God just to go... It pinch his head, put it into him, start over again. But that's not who God is. He is long-suffering. He is merciful. He is gracious and kind. Oh, that we would remember that. Do we not know that? Have we not experienced that in our own lives? Well, that's what Israel is having to come to find out. And indeed, as this unfolds, we see that this is a lesson they're learning. We see, secondly, the Lord hears his people's complaints. Uh, The Lord speaks a promise, a provision for his people. But there's a a test in it. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord spoke, said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. So the Lord has heard their complaints. He doesn't speak words of wrath or punishment or justice. He's going to make a provision for them. They're hungry, and he's going to feed them. With bread from heaven. He's going to rain bread from heaven. Who ever heard of such a thing? Well, no one has, because this has never happened before. Bread from heaven, even enough for the whole assembly, as great as that assembly was. But he's also going to begin to teach them about the Sabbath, which is one of the themes in the book of Exodus. The Lord, as we'll see later on, is making himself known through the Sabbath. This is the beginning of that lesson for them 
in this test. No doubt the Sabbath, which their father would have known about, because God established it in the beginning. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew of the Sabbath, but they've been in Egypt for so long, they've forgotten. They, they need to be taught these things. So on the sixth day, God says, there will be extra. It's going to be a double amount, and everyone is to gather twice as much to prepare for that seventh day, for that day of rest. And this is part of the test or training of the Lord. Will they be a people who submit to the one who saved them? Will they follow his instruction? And so in verses 6 and 9, Moses announces the Lord's gracious provisions to the people. Then Moses and Aaron said to the children of Israel, That evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And I say, well, shouldn't they know that already? Well, yes and no, but they're learning it. He goes on, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? There's a lot there. And I wish we could take even a whole sermon to unpack it. But what we're saying is, you've complained against the Lord. The Lord's heard your complaints, and yet he's going to show his glory. He's going to show his glory by making provision for you. But Moses said, why Why are you complaining against us? Look at Moses. Look at me. Look at Aaron. We are just men. We are but mere men. Why make your complaint against us? In a sense, we could say there's a lesson here. If you have difficulty, if you have need, if you're in trials, take the matter to the Lord in prayer. But they're young. These are things they yet need to learn. Verse 8, then Moses also said, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you the meat, what shall be seen? The glory of the Lord. The Lord providing for them. He's going to give them meat. It shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. Remember, they were talking about, oh, we used to have bread till we were full. So the Lord's going to do that. Bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you have made against him. There's no soft deadening. There's no softness. You are complaining against the covenant faithful Lord, the one who delivered you out of the land. And again he says, and what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron. Now we see that order that God established so long ago. God puts the word in Moses' mouth. He gives us to Aaron as his prophet. Aaron then goes to the people. Moses spoke to Aaron, say to all this congregation... There's this congregation of people, this community, of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. In the midst of their complaining, the Lord is providing for them. God is going to prove his power. He's going to display his glory in a gracious provision. He doesn't come with a rod. He doesn't come with wrath. This is not like the way he dealt with the children of Egypt. He's dealing with his covenant people. He is demonstrating that he is what? The Lord. The covenant faithful Lord. Regardless 
of how well behaved his people are. He is covenant faithful. Sisters and brothers, that is our Lord. He does not deal with us as our sins deserve. He has supplied his Son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And even his gracious treatment here with Israel in the wilderness is because of this reality that will happen in a couple thousand years when the Lord Jesus comes. It's not because he's just sweeping sin under the water, under the rug. It's because there is one who will come. He's mindful of who they are and their weakness, how immature they are, how little they know. And the Lord often has dealt with us that way as well. The covenant faithful Lord, he hears your complaints. This situation they're in was not brought about by Moses and Aaron. That's what the people are saying. You've done this. But no, it's actually the Lord's doing. The Lord has brought them out. And they've spoken ill against the Lord when they were speaking against Moses and Aaron. And yet God continues to care for them. He continues to supply for them, even in this barren land. It is a wilderness of sin. The, the word sin here actually suggests, suggests a place of bushes, um, brush. It's not an absolute, you know, place of sand, it's, it's much like where Moses first met with God. I mean, he's heading towards that mountain. There is scrub and there's, you know, something is growing there. But there's not provision for God's people. In verse 8, Moses could not be more clear, could he? This shall, you, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat. The glory of the Lord shall be seen. In verse 9 then, notice the language that Moses uses. Then Moses spoke there and said to the congregation of Israel, children of Israel, come near before the Lord. You know what that is? That's a call to worship. Come near to the Lord. It's actually used that way later on in the book of uh, Leviticus, in connection with the Day of Atonement. Come near before the Lord. It's, it's what we hear at the opening of our worship services. You know, we use different texts, different passages, but it's God's call to his people, to his congregation. Come. We've been invited. We've come today, what? To see the glory of the Lord. And the glory of the Lord is displayed in the Lord Jesus Christ, as he is preached and proclaimed. But even now in their infancy, the Lord is teaching the church that when he calls them to come before him, it should be that they come to worship him, not complain. And most importantly, when God calls us to come before him, let us never approach him in a casual way. We are coming before the creator of the universe. We're coming before the God who spoke and out of nothing created all things. We're coming before the one who so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world to save sinners. We're coming before the one who is God, the Holy Spirit, who is entered even into the cesspool of our hearts and cleansed it with the blood of Christ, who has taken us from our death to life and who abides with us 
even when we're murmuring and complaining. The Lord invites us to come to him. How dare we ever come in a casual way? We should come with fear and trembling. We should come with great expectations. There should be reverence and respect and wonder and awe as we approach our God to worship him. We should know that. We have all 66 books. We have the fullness of the revelation of God. These people, they're they're just beginning to understand these things. And yet God graciously calls them, come and see the glory of the Lord. And that's our third point. The glory of the Lord appears in verse 10. Aaron is sent by Moses, and he speaks to the whole congregation of Israel. And he tells them to look towards the wilderness where the pillar of cloud was. Look at verse 10. Now it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Now, we must understand that this display of God's glory is mediated. It's, it's mediated through Christ. You know, remember, Moses later will ask, Lord, show me your glory. And God says, you can't do that and live. And he takes him to a place in the mountain and has Moses stand in a, in a cleft, a cut into the rock, children. And, and the Lord covers him with his hand until he passes by. And then he allows Moses to see but the backside of his glory. But he, he beholds something of the glory of God. God is glorious to behold. It's the, if, if indeed God in the fullness of his glory was on display there in the wilderness at that point, the people would have perished. Because a sinful man cannot behold the glorious God and live. Leap forward to the book of Revelation. Because you know what? When Jesus comes again and we are glorified, we will be free from sin. When we see him, we shall be like him. And we will behold him in the fullness of his glory. We can't comprehend that. And even then, when we behold him in the fullness of his glory, there will be so much of that glory that will be incomprehensible to us for us to fully grasp the glory and the majesty and the magnitude and the wonder of our God. We would have to be God, for God alone comprehends God, and yet he will condescend in that day when we are gathered before him that we shall see his glory. Israel here is seen some manifestation, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. It is the presence of God who will go with them as a constant reminder of the glory of God, that he does not leave them nor forsake them, that he is with them. And we have that same testimony in our heart by the Holy Spirit. The glory of God in our midst. Peter, James, and John saw something also, that glory of God in the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. Not the full measure. They could not behold to see Christ in the fullness of the glory that he has as the the only begotten of the Father. But they saw some manifestation. God measured it for what they were capable and mediated even through the Lord Jesus Christ. How incredible is our God. 
He knows our frame. He knows our weakness. <laughs> you didn't think about who these people are. What have they done thus far? Murmured and complained. And yet God stoops. He condescends to show them something of his glory. It's breathtaking. This is awesome. This is what the book of Exodus is about. God is making himself known to the children of Abraham who have so long ago forgotten and indeed have not even known. And so they went out and beheld the glory of God as he made it known in that pillar. Let's pause for a moment again. Let's make some application along the way. Jesus taught us to pray. And in that prayer, he taught us to pray to the Father that he would give us a competent portion. Give us this day our daily bread. That is a portion sufficient for today. And he has. And my friends, this is wonderful and marvelous. In God's doing this for us, he is displaying his glory to us. As our Father, he is displaying to us in, in a way that is so common it's so familiar to us that we lose sight of it. It's, it's one of the importance of praying before a meal, thanking the Lord, not just out of a habit, not just out of a routine. And parents, you know, as you're praying with your children and teaching them to pray, one of the things we want to have, have ever before us, this table is set with the provision of our God. He has cared for us. He is displaying his glory for us. Let's be honest. We have, I, could think, I think I can almost speak universally for all of us, that we, we've lost sight of that. Our refrigerators are full, especially after Thanksgiving and all the leftovers, right? Our cupboards are full. You know, we, we drive to the grocery store. We have money in our bank accounts. You know, we, we've, 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 we're distanced from how the Lord providing for us day by day is his showing his glory to us. We have sisters and brothers today that very much are depending upon the Lord God that he would display his glory to them by providing a few morsels to sustain them. Let us not lose sight of the glory of God in providing for us in this wilderness world. It's not our home. We are pilgrims. It's as though we're wandering in the wilderness of sin. If we really had a proper sense of it. We don't belong here. We're on our way to the eternal city that God has built. And along the way God is providing for us. And let us remember in his provision we are seeing his glory. But there's something much greater. What are, we, what are we here for? We are here to worship God. This God. This great creator God. And he is meeting with us. Because of the mediation of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Because Christ went to the cross. And he bore the penalty for our murmurings, our complainings, our indifferences, our rebellions, our hatefulness. Go through the Ten Commandments. He went. And our sins were laid on him. And he paid the full price, satisfying the wrath of God. This is what we talk about, children, and I want to keep bringing this word before you so you get it. Jesus is our propitiation. That is to say, he bore our sins, and what we deserved, he's satisfied with the Father. And so we gather and worship. We really have gathered in the presence of our God to worship, and his glory is shown forth. We hear it in the preaching of the word. We sing and celebrate it. God has provided a lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Let us not lose sight of the glory of God when we gather for worship. As a matter of fact, let us come looking for the glory of God. Let us come celebrating and singing the glory of God. Let us come as we offer up our private silent prayers and our our corporate prayers with an expectation that the glory of God is displayed as he answers our prayers. Well, thirdly, and we must move more quickly, the gracious provision of the Lord. What follows really, it's it's not complicated to, to follow what's happening here. We'll read through it and make some comments. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, verse 11, I heard the complaint of the children of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. There's the theme. God's making himself known to his people. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp. Where did they come from? I don't know. But you've but you got a mass of million. Uh, uh, all these people that he's going to feed. This, is, this isn't just some wonderful providence that God, you know, like with a big arm, swept the face of the earth and brought all the quails and deposited them there. You know, he can only really probably do that once. You know, if he was just sweeping in quail from across the vastness. God is supernaturally providing for his people. Quails cover the camp. In the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. And, and when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, and I'll put the Hebrew here, manna. That's what, what is it? That's what, I said, what is it? Manna. That, that, what is it? And that became its name. The question, what is it? Manna. That's that's its name. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. We'll get a fuller description of it later on. This is something which the Lord has commanded. This is from the Lord. Notice that this is something that the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather according to each one's need. An omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so, and they gathered some more, larger families, 
and some less, smaller families, maybe a couple. And so when they measured it, by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's needs. Wow. This, this is so familiar to us that we're in danger of losing the wonder of this. Do you know, we have the most mornings right now? It's shown, but it's frost, right? Um, and, and that's sort of what it looked like. It looked like the, the hairy frost, though it's not. But when the dew dried away, there's, there's this substance. It's heavenly bread. It's the provision from God. It, they, they call it, what is it? It's, what is manna? Uh, later in Psalm 78, it's referred to there as uh, the psalmist recounts the event, food from heaven. And Moses explains then to the people what they are to do. Verses 17 and 18, they're such happy verses. You know, we begin with complaining, right? It's been complaining. It's, it, thus far, this part of the chapter, it's not been a happy part, has it? But look at 17 and 18. And the children of Israel did so. They obeyed. And they gathered it, some more and some less. And so when they measured it, he who had gathered much had nothing left over, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to the need, each one's needs. This is a happy moment. Bread from heaven. The very need they had, that their bellies would be filled. It's such a wonderful point. And the Apostle Paul, he quotes from this very passage in 2 Corinthians 8.15 when he's encouraging the saints to share from their means for their brothers and sisters who are in need, uh, the famine in Jerusalem. And he says that they should share from their uh, needs so that the provision uh, would be given, uh, I'm sorry, for one another from the provision that the Lord has given them so that no one would go without. And he, he quotes from this passage so that some had a lot, some had a little, everyone shared according to their position, and no one had lack. The church was cared for. It's a principle, uh, a founding principle for our diaconal ministry. There are some in needs, and others have an abundance. And when we share out of our abundance there's the increase so that no one is lacking what is needed. Well, the happy moment turns sad because verse 19, Moses has one more command. Let no one leave any of it till morning. Now, remember when God started this, he said, this is a test. Look at verse 20. Notwithstanding, that is the command, the instruction. They did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. Yuck. God did something supernatural. What was good for food the day before, a sufficient portion for that day, some people disobeyed, kept some of it overnight, and in the morning they had a jar full of maggots. It smelled so foul. And I think Moses' response is, is understandable. Moses was angry with them. After all they've been through, they have no bread. The Lord's provided bread and meat. He's provided an abundance and a full. And it's just a simple commandment. 
Don't leave any of it overnight. And they disobeyed. And Moses was angry. Was the Lord angry? I don't know. Text doesn't say. But Moses was. You can imagine his discouragement as a leader. After all this just taken place, you just heard all that took place. It's very understandable the way Moses responds. And we're reminded again that we're a people like them. So stubborn. So ready to disobey. And in this case, the disobedience ended up with stinky omer of maggots in their tents. What's the point? Well, it's tied to what Jesus teaches us to pray and then live out. We, we pray this prayer. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, give us a competent proportion today. We need to learn to depend on the Lord for our daily bread. And I dare say that's harder for us because our larders are full. It's a lesson that's really lost on us. It, in, in our culture at this time. But it's not lost on brothers and sisters that we have in the globe today. And I, I'm here the echoes of Paul that we hear of the needs. There's, there's a host of solid Christian ministries to make an application that we could take out of our abundance and share through those ministries to those that are in need so that no one would have lack. That no one would be going hungry. That we would put feet to what we pray, Lord's day by Lord's day. Lord, give us this day a sufficient portion. Teach us to depend upon you alone. Well, we conclude. God did not give Israel manna in the wilderness just to feed them. He didn't do it just to silence their grumbling. As we will soon see, they will find something greater to murmur about. <laughs> Even after all of this, they're going to complain some more. Now, God's teaching them here a greater lesson, the one that we must live, learn to live to. To the next generation, the children of this congregation... They're, going to, they're the ones that are going to enter the land and inherit the land. That's another story. But Moses declared to them, Deuteronomy 8, he's talking to the children that are about to go in. They've grown up. They're going to get to enter the rest. Moses said, you shall remember that, that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. The Lord is doing that in the lives of his people today. You belong to the Lord. You've been bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, he appoints trials to test us, to see what's in our heart. Again, I think of Dr. Reeder, and he says, circumstances don't make us who we are, but they reveal who we are. That's really what Moses is saying. Here he goes on. He says, so he, that is God, humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and then fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know 
that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Then the Lord, as well as now, is teaching his people to depend upon our covenant faithful Lord, that his word is true and faithful. Our lives depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the living word. We live by him alone. In him we live and move and have our being. It was this word that Jesus rebuked Satan with in the wilderness when he had been fasting. He was in that desert place, and Satan comes and says to the hungry Messiah, take these stones, you've got the power to do it. Turn them into bread and satisfy your hunger. And what did he say? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We live our lives under the dominion of God. We are to obey his every command. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. Fundamentally, that's what Israel was doing. God does graciously supply all that we need to live for his glory. And he makes his glory known even by giving us our daily bread. Children, children, you're listening to me. Every time you sit down at a meal from now on, I hope that you remember there is food on this table and I am able to eat because God is good and he is displaying his glory even to little me he is showing his ability to supply my needs god knows that you need food and he provides food for you it is a small way of god showing his glory but it is no less a display of his glory let us not diminish it manna even goes beyond all these things the man itself points to Jesus, who is the living bread of God, who came down out of heaven to give life to sinful men. In John 6, we, we covered this just, what, a year or two ago, I guess probably two. They're, they're on the, the hillside. Jesus fed a multitude of 5,000 men plus men and women. And what does the crowd say to him afterwards? Look at John 6, 28. This should be familiar to us. We were there not that long ago. As he's fed them, the people then say to him, John 6, 28, Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who sent you. It's not by works. It's by faith. Believe in him who sent you. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? That's stunning. He just fed 5,000 people from a few loaves of fishes. What work will you do, they demand. Our fathers ate manna in the desert. They're remembering this event, and they see that as a mighty work. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. They're quoting scripture. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus teaches the principle 
the main point. Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That manna that showed up every morning was pointing to Christ, the true bread who we eat and in him we have life, as he goes on to say in John 6. The people just wanted their bellies filled. They're just like the generation of Israel way back when. And Jesus then claims he is that heavenly bread. He goes on to say, verse 34, they say to him, Lord, give us this bread always. They're just thinking of their bellies. They're missing the point. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And I said it, I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. We have physical needs. We've spoken about this. Jesus addressed that in the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, nor they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you of more value than they? God's gracious provision of manna in the wilderness goes far beyond filling bellies. It goes to our greatest need of all. Since we're made in God's image, He has made the greatest provision of all for us to redeem us as sinners. For God so loved the world that He graciously gave the greatest gift of life in Christ Jesus who is the living water, who is the bread of heaven, who is the savior of sinners. Friends, you and I live in the wilderness of this world. Do not make the mistake of Israel of old, looking around merely to have your belly filled. No, indeed no. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ that your need of a savior would be met. That you would look to Christ as the bread of life, the bread of heaven, who comes to give eternal life to sinners. And those who have this eternal life, I say, do not let the fleeting things of this world distract you. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and of his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And Christ meets all our needs. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this rich truth again from this ancient text of events that took place so long ago, and yet they were written for our instruction. Lord, may we take them to heart and grow in Christ Jesus, we pray. Grow in our dependence upon Him, longing to feed upon Him, using the ordinary means of grace as we gather in worship, as we come to see Your glory, 
as we hear of the glorious one. Lord, and as we go away to live our lives, keep us fixed upon you. Lord, even as families, when we sit at the table each day, multiple times every day, help us to pause and think here before us is a reminder of the glory of our God. And may we think of the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.